so this morning, uh, we'll open to 1 Corinthians 12 and we'll be gleaning a few things from here and then we'll be moving back to where we were last week in Ephesians 4 and taking a few things from both. So what we've been doing over the last few weeks we call systematic theology. That is, we take a, uh, an idea, a topic or a doctrine and we look to see what Scripture says about it as a whole. So not just in one passage, but to gather together several passages of uh, Scripture on that topic and to study to see what God has to say about it. And so we've been studying in a systematic form, if you will, the doctrine of ecclesiology. Uh, that word may sound familiar because, as we said at the beginning, church, as Jesus used the word church, is ecclesia, which means gathering together, uh, an assembly. And so we talk about the doctrine of the church, which is a called out assembly. And so the church is Christ's own assembly of his people. And so we've been talking about that and looking at various aspects of that as we have gone through it's perhaps a uh, beneficial thing if we give just a kind of a, a basic definition if you will as we have gathered together of what church is and a uh, church is an assembly of baptized believers who regularly gather in Christ's name to carry out the Lord's work um, that's concise but it gathers together most of what we have talked about over the last few few weeks And so we've done it through a number of topics, a number of uh, gatherings together following these four ideas that this is indeed the church, the most beautiful place on earth. And we began with uh, a prayer for God's people, a prayer of passion and a prayer to pray deeply for one another. Then we began to look at the plan God had for his church and how he structured and what his intent was for the church. And we spent a couple of weeks looking through that. And then last week, we started on this uh, beautiful partnership in the church. And we looked particularly, uh, as we began to look more specifically at how God structured it, at the leadership that God brings to a church and that the church needs and has been gifted with godly leadership and looking at how that's to function. And so we're going to continue that this morning with the second part of that, and that is a healthy, growing body, and look at how this becomes part of that great and glorious partnership God builds. And then next week we'll conclude our study with the beautiful purpose of the church, and that is what are we to do and how are we to do it? Um, Putting all of these things together, how does it function? What is our purpose uh, before us? So last week, we, uh, we looked and we saw that God indeed has, has an order for this assembly, this thing that we call church. And he guided and he structured it and he designed it and he began it with the apostles and began to build that structure already with the apostles and then following the apostles and, and in tandem with the apostles, the prophets. And we spoke to that a little last week and the evangelists, which we would probably consider these days more church planters or missionaries as they spread the gospel around and established churches around the world, and then more permanently in the office of pastor-teacher or bishop or elder. And so we talked about how all three of those words refer to the same office, but refer to different aspects of that office and different roles that we are to play in the leadership of God's people. God-ordained structure isn't a hierarchy, though. 
It's one point we made last week. So it's, it's not about God has this hierarchy and we uh, uh, are in this structure of uh, like many things and, and organizations. But rather what God has designed is a partnership. The way we're to work together and partner to do the work of God. So God has entrusted those that he's called to be leaders to serve his people. And they serve his people so that they can properly serve one another and serve God. So today, we're going to look at how this body of Christ is to function. And so we're going to look at what is a healthy, growing body. We're going to start this morning and read uh, just through a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll start, well look, we might as well start in verse 1 and we'll read uh, through uh, a few verses. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, dear God, for your word, for its instruction and its guidance. Thank you, Lord, for the work that your spirit does within us to bring us together to bind us together in heart and faith. Encourage us this morning as we examine this truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look, as I said this morning, at how the body of Christ is to function. What is this beautiful partnership that God designed the church to be? To start with, we see one of the most important things here, and that is that we are one body. And just to emphasize that, the first point is one body. We are indeed one body. And we've seen that as we read through here in this passage before us and looked at what uh, Paul was speaking to the Corinthians here about. There is, as we see in these passages of Scripture and throughout, a unity of the body. The body of Christ, the church, is indeed one body. The Bible uses a number of analogies for what a church is, but two of the most beautiful and the most commonly used are the family and, uh, and the body. And when we talk about the church family, we're usually speaking of the relationships that are built, the interaction between the people that comes there and refers to the, 
the one another as, as brother and sister in Christ because we are a family. The other, of course, is, is the body. And while the relationship of family speaks to, indeed, to the relationship, the idea or the analogy of body speaks more to the ministry of the church, to the, the function of the church, how it works and interacts with one another on a more practical level. So Paul uses these things to help us visualize, to help us see and understand a bit more of what we're supposed to do. Like a, like a body, body has many parts, but it is one functioning body. And those many parts work together for the same purpose uh, and the same goal. And so in a church, when we describe a church as a body, it is indeed, as we'll see, one of many parts, but it works together for the same goal, for the glory of God to pursue the work and the glory of Christ. The glory of the church is God making one out of many. To bring many together and to make one unified and glorious body to his praise. This is the beauty of what the church is. This whole passage which we've just read through here in 1 Corinthians 12 is permeated with the idea of the unity of the body. We could continue to read on past what we did, and he continues to use the picture of the body to speak to that unity. The, the, the foot can't just say, I don't want to be part of the body and run off anymore, because then the body misses something and it doesn't function right, and the foot can't live by itself. And uh, it, you can't just decide to do one thing, and if the hand, this hand decides to do its own thing and do its thing over here, then it's not part of the body anymore, and it makes life difficult for everybody else. So the whole passage here is about to show us you know, how does a body work, and that's how a church functions. One unified body, the glory of Christ. You see it in verse, uh, where verse 20 of this passage, a little bit further down. He says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Or verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. A healthy body is subject to its head, and under its head it unifies all the members together. So in verse 12, which we read just a moment ago, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one, so also is Christ. That is, under the headship of Christ, we are drawn together to be one body. The life of that body also comes from God. So verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So how does God make one out of many? It's not, and we've said this on many times before, it's not about unifying us around a purpose or a goal or an interest. Those things change over time. They, they move, they shift uh, in, in many ways and in, in many organizations, but that's not how God brings together a church. He's not binding us around a common goal, purpose, or interest. The unity that God brings is a uniquely spiritual unity. It is spiritual by nature. It is the work of the Spirit who makes unity in this diversity who brings together people who have different outlooks, who have different ways of life, who have different interests and different goals in so many places, but are bound together in the Spirit of Christ to one another. 
So in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. It works just like a physical body. It is when, when a, a body is, is born. You know, we, we've just had our first, uh, uh, third, fourth. I'll get there in a minute. Our fourth child. And it's magnificent, isn't it? Because everything comes together perfectly. Everything is designed. Each step along the way is perfectly designed. Perfectly placed. And just like in a physical body, so it is the way God works in a church. Each part is beautifully orchestrated and drawn together and placed by God for his purpose. Without the spirit, there is no life. There is no unity. It was Jesus who told his, his apostles as he, he left uh, in Acts chapter 1, and you shall receive power. The Holy Spirit will come, and the Spirit of God energizes God's church, and he draws people together and the believers together and binds them together in heart, and he indwells us both individually and corporately to make us what we need to be. This whole unity rests on our salvation. Jesus Christ has indeed uh, bought us with his own blood, that we have believed that, that the Spirit has made us alive in Jesus Christ. What makes all this a reality? Our salvation. There is, of course, and truly, a relationship between all believers. We all share the same Father. We are all children of God. And there is indeed a relationship between every believer. But God also binds together believers in a body of a church. The Spirit binds us together and gives us life as a body of Christ. To serve and to minister for Him. So while we are one body, we are many members. This we see several times throughout our passage here. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, have all been made to drink into one Spirit. We come from different backgrounds and different places and different varieties. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. One of the beautiful things about church is the diversity of people. The diversity of people. God's idea of church isn't homogenous. That is, he doesn't have this idea that we'll have a, a, a church which is all this type of people here, and then over here we'll build a church and it's all this type of people there, and then we'll have a church here and it's all this type of people, and they can interact and they can mix, but, but that's, that's it. It's all the same people here and it's the same type of people there and the same ones here. It's not about bringing together people that would naturally be together by our ethnicities or our, our cultural backgrounds or whatever it may be. You know, some church philosophies, uh, church group growth philosophies, tell us for, for a church to grow, we have to target people. So you say, well, what type of church do we want to be? Well, we want to be a church for the rich. Because, you know, what church doesn't want to be a church for the rich, right? Or we want to be a church for young families. 
Or we want to be a church for this uh, thing or, or this aspect or, or this part of society. And so the idea is if we want a church to grow, we need to target that group and we need to aim our efforts at that group. You don't find that in Scripture. God has never called us to target a group of people to, to find how to build a church through that idea. In God's idea of church, all of these boundaries... Of, of ethnicity and, and culture and interest and things. All of these boundaries don't exist. They don't exist in God's idea of church. He binds us together and he empowers each of his churches with his people called from every type of people. Which is why right here, when it says that we're, we're drawn together, it says whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we went through that some time ago, says the same thing. It says you know, there was this boundary between the Jews and the Greeks, and the, the, the Greeks and the Gentiles, anybody who wasn't Jew is far off because the Jews were the people of God. Says, but Christ broke down that wall and has brought peace, and from two made one. Not bringing together two things and making two things close, but making one new creature. One new place. The church. We are not all meant to be the same. That is not why God brought us together. Each of us are better off having known the others. Having been built by the others. Not only is there a diversity of people in church, but there is a diversity of gifts. My intent this morning is not to go through the gifts. We've done that actually not so long ago, a number of months ago. We, we did a short thing through those. So I'm not going to go through each of the gifts, but to mention this. For the good of each body, God gifts his people to serve one another. Every believer is given spiritual gifts. Verse 7 of our text says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We are all, as children of God, as people who have been saved from our sin and brought into the family of God, and then uh, brought into and bound to a church, we are gifted by the Holy Spirit of God with something uniquely spiritual to minister and to serve people. Now it is true, we all have different personalities, we all have different abilities, and we all have different skills, natural skills and talents. These are all very important. They are very useful within the body of Christ. But what God does above and beyond what he has already given you naturally is that salvation, he blesses you with something supernatural. Something which he gives to you. Gifts of the Spirit. They're listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. You can find some more added in Romans chapter 4, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 as well. Sorry, uh, Romans chapter 4 and, and other places. But there's uh, a number of gifts which the Bible speaks to. And he gives us these gifts. He empowers us with these abilities to, to minister, to build the body that he has joined us to. Some have more showy gifts. You know, I get to stand up here each week and you see me use my gifts as I share the word of God with you. They're uh, out there and you can see that. And, and there are often those out there. There are other gifts which are not so prominently displayed. 
Paul runs through that and he says, you know, there are these, these parts of the body which you see. You know, in the body you see the face, you see the, the skin, the hands, but what you don't see is your kidneys and your organs. But if you don't have them, the body doesn't work. And some of them, you don't really want to know how they work, you just want them to work. But if they don't, the body fails. Whether they're seen or unseen, you need each part. And that's how God gifts a church. Not everybody is given the same gift, but we're gifted so that the whole body works and functions. Every single one is important. The exercise of the gifts is crucial for body health. See, when we don't use the gifts that God has given to us, the whole body suffers. Every part of the body suffers when the gifts aren't used. So we are one body. Many members, but one body. And we are one body with one heart. One body with one heart. One heart to care for one another. There are throughout Scripture a number of, of uh, phrases, a number of, of uh, uh, verses which talk to us about these one another statements. I've listed a number of them for you in your notes and, and uh, here, things which the Bible says that as the people of God, as we're bound together, these are the things we should be doing for one another uh, and encouraging one another in these ways. We are to love one another, a love which shows that we are the people of God. We're to edify one another, to build one another up. And we'll talk about that one a little bit more as we move through this morning. Romans tells us to do not judge one another. And that is, that's not to judge in the sense of discernment, but rather it's not to condemn or to hold in contempt one another. Bear one another's burdens. It is make life easier through those difficult times for one another. We're to serve one another in love goes on in, in others and we're to, uh, we're to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We're to submit to one another. This comes in the context of how we're to submit to the Holy Spirit so that he can fill us and use us and by that we submit to one another. We're to show hospitality to one another. We're to encourage one another to good works, to help each other use our gifts we're to be of the same mind with one another. That is the same goal, the same purpose, the same desires. We are with one heart so that we can care for one another. But also, not only to love one another, to care for one another, but to serve one another. For this, if we turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 real quickly, and we'll look here, we'll probably get back to 1 Corinthians again later, but... Ephesians chapter 4. We began last week looking at this and we looked at one portion of Ephesians chapter 4 where it says here in verse 11, and he, Jesus Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now he tells us why does he give us that godly leadership? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are of one heart to serve one another, and in that we are being equipped. We are being equipped to serve. And that is the duty, the role of spiritual leadership. 
See, leadership in the church is a high and important calling. And many people have come to believe that the role of the pastors is to do the work. That all the work of ministry is to be done by uh, a pastor. And so we have pastors now for every aspect of ministry. We have professionals for everything. We, we have children's pastors and we have youth pastors and we have music pastors and associate pastors and evangelism pastors and discipleship pastors and pastors of vision and pastors of teaching. And we've got pastors for everything because we think that everybody needs to be a professional to do the job. And that's not how God intended the church to run. He didn't intend for there to be the, the, the leadership to do all of the work. Paul teaches that the role of leadership is to equip the church to do the work. To equip the believers, to equip the saints to do it. And who are the saints he speaks of here? It's you. It's each and every one of us. To do the work of God. To equip has to do with making complete. It's about maturing. When it says that the leadership is to equip the saints, that is, it's to mature us in faith and life. Help us learn to not only know the word of God, but to apply the word of God and use it in the way that God has intended us to use it. So pastors are to rightly use the tools God has given and provides for that end. So we use the scripture. We teach and we instruct and we preach and we guide from Scripture so that you can know the truth and you can know how to apply the truth and we pray. Amongst other things, these are how we lead and guide and we're to preach and teach God's Word so that you can properly apply it and we're to pray for the people of God, especially those that God has entrusted to our care. And although we speak of church leadership, church leadership, that term is... I use it kind of hesitantly because it's it's kind of a, a misnomer, this idea of church leadership. Because usually when we think of leadership, we think of you know, those that are at the top and that just you know, they, they lead and they tell everybody what to do. But at the heart of leadership in God's structure is humble service. The lead servant, if you will. The ones whose heart is to get in and get dirty and help everybody else get dirty in the work of Christ. To humbly serve God and to humbly serve the people of God. We, the church leadership, are to lead by example, which is why Paul would say to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. That is, I'm not just going to stand here and tell you what to do. I'm going to show you. So follow me as I am following Christ. See, the beautiful partnership of the church is that the leaders serve us by teaching and setting an example so that we can all minister in pursuit of God's purpose. And so, we are being equipped, we serve one another by being equipped, and we're equipped to minister. Every believer is in ministry. Every believer is in ministry. Uh, it, it, whether you're, you're new in Christ or old in Christ, why is the leadership, why is the pastor supposed to pour himself into God's people? To mature you. But for what purpose? 
To what end are we teaching you to mature? Ministry. To serve the God you love. To glorify the God you love. We were saved, Ephesians tells us, to do good works. To minister for Jesus Christ. So, at the very heart of what Christianity is, is service. That's at the heart of Christianity. Nothing about Christianity is passive. There is no, nowhere you will find in Scripture where Christianity has this idea of get saved and then just kind of coast through life. There is nothing passive about true Bible Christianity. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, there's a good example of this, and it helps us with just another aspect, too, of church structure. In Acts chapter 6, there is a problem in the church at Jerusalem. The church has grown so big, so quickly, that it's quickly uh, overwhelming the apostles. The church is growing, and not only are Jews getting saved, but there's Gentiles getting saved there, and they're all coming together. And, of course, it's early days, and things are difficult, and there's this mix of how do people who didn't associate before start to associate, and there's conflict and there's trouble. And one of the things that comes is the widows of the, the church, whether Jew or Gentile, would be helped and assisted by the church. And it was appearing as if the Jewish widows were getting more favor than the Greek widows. And so the people of the church came to the apostles in Acts chapter 6. You can read it in the first seven verses. People of the church come to the apostles and say, look, there's a problem. It seems like the Greek widows are being neglected. We need to do something about it. Now, what the apostles did not do was take on more work. Say, okay, we'll fix it. Or say, all right, we'll hire somebody else to do the job. We'll take on another pastor and we'll, we'll do that. So they didn't take on more work and they didn't hire more staff for that. What they did is they said, church, take responsibility for it. We want you to choose out from among you six strong, godly men who can lead this work. This is where the idea of deacons comes from. Because that was the title they were given. Which essentially, the term deacon, you know, it's come to have this sort of leadership thing. But the term deacon means servant. That's what it is, a slave. It says, choose out some servants who can help do this job. Who can meet the needs of the church. They are, as I said, literally servants. The role of a deacon in a church isn't to run the church or to lead the church. The role of deacons in the church is to help the church function rightly. To help it do what it needs to do, to keep the life of the church, the vibrancy of the church. They are, if you will, assistants to the pastor. Pastors in organizing the practical ministry of the church. And why did the apostles say, we're going to delegate that and we want you to choose these godly men to do that? Why did they say that? It tells us in Acts chapter 6 they did it so that we can focus on the word of God and prayer. You find it easily happens. I've been there before that in church leadership it can so often be you end up spending more time fixing toilets on one week than you do in studying God's word. And that ought not to be. And that's why God says, lead, show them, teach them, instruct them, so that together we can make this body function what it needs to be. Now, the reason we're given the gifts by the Spirit is to serve. 
Every believer is gifted by the Spirit of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, again, speaking of the gifts, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Or Peter says it also speaking of the gifts God gives, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you are a believer, you've been called and gifted to serve the church. Every person must play their part or the rest suffers. So what is your part? How have you been naturally enabled and spiritually gifted to minister for God? Maybe the ministry you're gifted for already exists here. Be part of it. Jump in and be part of it. Maybe the ministry that you are gifted for here doesn't exist. But it could. It could. It may be something seen, like preaching or teaching, evangelism or music, or maybe it's something unseen, like setting up chairs or IT or making coffee or praying. And when I speak about ministry, because often and, and service, often what comes into our mind immediately when we talk about being gifted to serve and to minister, we usually think of organized ministries. You know, to preach or to, to have music or to have the Sunday school or some organized function of the church. And ministry and service in the church with your gifts doesn't always mean organized ministry. Often it means things like having people around to your house for lunch or sharing together over a, a, a discussion of God's word together, encouraging, discipling, uh, a myriad of things where you can use the gift that God has given you in a formal or informal context to build the body of Christ. It will edify or if it will edify, if it will build up, if it will minister to people in some way, it will grow this church. If we have the ability and the resources and, and it fits within the purpose that God has given a church to do, if it meets that, if, if it's a way that you can serve God and build the people of God here, we will help you do it. We will give you every resource we can to enable you to do that. We will encourage you and, and whatever is possible that you can use what God has gifted you to use. Maybe you're not sure where to start. Maybe you think, well, I don't know what I'm gifted to do or I don't know what I can do or, or where I fit. The answer to that question is really very simple. Just jump in somewhere. Just do something. When you start to do something, you quickly begin to use the things that God gives you and you soon find out, well, maybe this isn't what I'm gifted at or where my heart's at, but that is. There's an old saying, it's easier to steer a moving ship than one stationary in the water. And that's true of life. You will more easily find what God has gifted you to do and how to serve God's people if you're already moving, serving God, than if you're just sitting there waiting for God to show up and say what to do. Just jump in. Just do something. Even if it doesn't fit right at the beginning. 
one other thing perhaps to think of is because sometimes we think, well, what if I start this and it doesn't work or it fails or it doesn't go uh, continue on? You know, not every ministry is meant to be a lasting ministry. Not everything we start, not every, in terms of organized things, not everything we start is meant to go on forever. Sometimes we serve and sometimes we give ourselves to a particular aspect of body life only for it to go away. Because we grow out of it. Things move. My young son here is he's drinking milk. Okay, but there's going to come a time when he needs more than milk and he's going to need steak. Right? We grow. Things change. Life changes and so does the church. So because we start something and then it doesn't continue on forever, doesn't mean it's a failure. So don't look and say, what if I start and what if I fail? Okay, you haven't failed. To start, to jump in and to serve God, that is success. To be faithful with what God has given us. So we are one body with one passion or with one heart and one passion. We are one body with one heart and one passion. That passion firstly comes to build one another up. In verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. We have to build one another up. To build one another up for strength. Growth is important. Growth is important. Evangelism, that is sharing the gospel, will grow us externally. We'll talk about that more next week as we talk about the purpose of the church. But numeric growth is not the goal. Of course, as God, as God reaches hearts, and he reaches the hearts of people as we share the gospel, people will get saved and the church will grow. We've got to witness. That is part of what we need to do. But while evangelism will grow externally, ministry, that is serving one another out of a heart of love, will grow us internally. Will strengthen us in our hearts and our minds. To edify, as I said, means to build up, to make strong. That's what the word edify means. To build up, to make strong. See, we don't serve just to keep busy. So what I'm saying here this morning when I talk about serving and using our gifts for one another isn't just because you need to be busy about something. I was in youth ministry for a very long time. Camps and all sorts of stuff going on. And, and you hear a lot of things from parents when they talk about youth ministry. And one of the things that I heard more often than, than I really should have in youth ministry was this. Can you keep doing stuff because we need to keep our kids busy? Because if they're busy then they won't get in trouble and they won't get caught up with the wrong people. Okay, that's not why we do ministry. Okay, what I'm not asking you is say, well, you need to be busy because the reality is life is busy. Everybody is busy. It's not about just doing stuff. It's not just about you know, uh, people looking at a church and going, oh, they do lots of stuff. That must be good if they do lots of stuff. Ministry isn't about keeping busy. We serve one another. We minister one another to what end? To strengthen one another. To build one another up. To make each other stronger in the faith. So we need to build one another up for strength and also for health. You're one person. 
And it is highly unlikely that, that the Spirit gifts any one person with all of the gifts that God has. And so that means that it, I, as the, the pastor, as a leader, I can't give you everything that you need. I can't meet every need you have or serve you in every aspect. And there are many ways in which I am not what I ought to be and not gifted in certain areas to meet the needs that you have. And that is true of, of all of us as individuals. None of us have everything everyone needs. So when we submit to God's pattern and we commit to one another and we serve him as a body, we grow and we grow stronger. Because the, the gifts and the strengths of each one of us come together to make one strong, healthy body. Size is in God's hands, but maturity is in ours. The way we serve Christ and be faithful. And so we are passionate to build one another, but also to know Jesus better. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says, as he moves on from this, so why are we equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or mature, complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we want to help each other to know Jesus to know Jesus till we all come that little phrase there is an expression of purpose it is the aim of God's work in us to bring unity as we build on these virtues as we build on the service and the gifts and the things that God gives we will grow to be one one of the specifics that Paul brings out particularly here in unity is the unity of faith you see there is no real unity without truth if we do not have truth as a foundation, we can never have real unity. And so we unify by strengthening one another to know Jesus truly. We're called to be of unity of mind and belief. This is why Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians with these words, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity comes through discipleship again something we'll speak about more deeply next week that is ministering to one another encouraging one another building each other up philippians chapter 3 verse 17 says brethren join in following my example and not those who and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern christian growth isn't a race or a competition it's not about who gets to be more like christ first well, I've been saved longer than you, and look where I'm at. Yeah, well, I haven't been saved nearly as long as you, and look where I'm at. I'm going much faster than you. I'm much, much more godly than you, much more quickly. It's not a race. It's not a competition. In fact, what the Bible describes it as is fellowship. The Bible uses this beautiful word. Koinonia is the Greek word. It means partnership. Partnership. Fellowship. Communion. God brings us together so that we can walk this way together. To encourage and teach one another. The purpose of a church, the desire that God has for you is that you will understand him. That we will grow stronger and stronger in what we believe. 
Not that we will all think the same. It's not about coming to think the same, but that we all grow to think like Christ. Become more like Christ. So, to know Jesus better, but also to be strong in truth. Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's a lot of ideas out there about spirituality. Everybody has an idea about what God wants, what God thinks, and how to get to heaven, and how to please God, or how to have some sort of of life after death, of some sort of goodness. Many of them even sound convincing and often will contain truth. Immaturity in the faith then leaves us in an unstable place where we can easily be tossed to and fro, easily get uh, sucked in by the cunning craftiness of deceitful people who will draw us away. The body is there to strengthen us and encourage us, to hold tight onto us so that we don't get drawn away by the lies and the deceit of those that would bring destruction. That's one reason why it's important that we have spiritual conversations, not just in church, but out of church, on email, and things say, look, I heard this today, and, and, and talk about these things, so that we don't get taken away. Lastly, to grow in love. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are a confessing people. That is, we must speak the truth. We confess Jesus Christ. We speak of Jesus Christ. And together we strengthen each other to be bold for Christ and to speak up. To be able to stand for Christ in our schools and our unis and our workplaces and our homes. To have the strength and the courage to speak the truth. But also this truth which we must speak boldly, we learn to speak in sincere concern and grace, in love. The desire we're to have is not to win an argument, but to set people free from sin. Show people the way out of sin and death as we do our part. Christ will do his. He will empower and strengthen us in our ministry. He will fill our hearts with love. He will hold this body together. He will make it function. The church is a place, a place of a beautiful beautiful partnership. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 uses this very word koinonia that I spoke of before. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship. Partnership. Close communion. It's a place where God himself draws us together. It's a place where not only does God draw us together, but he binds our hearts together as one. It's a place where he teaches us to love 
to serve, to care for each other. And he does these things in the context of reality, which is sometimes difficult. Because we all have rough edges. The partnership, this partnership of God called called leaders, helping the body grow, helping us to do what Christ has called us to do. It's a partnership of each and every member playing their part for the good of others, for the glory of Christ. It's a place where in partnership we each help the other become more like Christ. We are one body with one heart and one passion. Are you playing your part in this beautiful partnership? If not, we all miss out. You miss out. We all miss out. So how can you serve this body, small or great? How can we become stronger and healthier together? Perhaps you need to become part of the body. Has God brought you here to serve and be served? Maybe it's time to be part of the body. Perhaps this morning you need to be saved. You're not even unified with Christ, much less his people. Today you can find unity with God, fellowship with God and God's people. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those that you have brought into our lives to build, to encourage and to strengthen us. We each minister into one another's lives in the ways that you have gifted us to do in in small, unseen ways often and in larger, seen ways, Lord, in so many different ways that, that we each play a role in one another's lives. We thank you for that strength that you give us, the encouragement as we are your body, your representation in this world. Lord, grow us internally and externally, dear God, as you see fit, that we might bring you glory as one people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll stand with me as we take a